This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House USA, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders in America. My name is Nick Hoadley and I'm the CEO of Insurance Search. We specialize in helping insurance businesses grow and multiply their growth by attracting, recruiting and retaining the highest performing insurance professionals in the country. Each week in the Coffee House, we interview leading insurance business leaders and discover how they achieve their success, learn what advice they have for other aspiring insurance business leaders, and we discover what makes their business an attractive proposition for high-performing talent. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Julie Wood, who is the Managing Director of the Southeast Zone at Marsh. Welcome to the show, Julie. Hi, Nick. Good. Happy to be here. Julie, it's great to have you on the show today. Really looking forward to hearing from you, finding out more about your career and the work you're doing there at Marsh. So if I can start us off before we go into the main body of the questions, could you maybe give a little bit of an introduction into your background and what's led you through your career to where you are now? Sure. So I had joined into the insurance industry really less um kind of less purposeful in back when I came right out of college in University of Michigan. And so I joined in the company side at Zurich Insurance and stayed there for a number of years, over 15 years before I moved over into Marsh. So I started out there in the Midwest of the United States, lived in Chicago, and then moved into Atlanta, had a job over um, over part of New York, also with Zurich into a global role, and then moved into Marsh around 2014. A um, couple different places, not a lot of companies there, but uh, both the company side and the brokerage side. And how did you find that transition from being a large carrier like Zurich moving into the broker side at, at Marsh? Yeah, so I've you know always enjoyed the negotiation aspect, and really, probably if you asked me earlier in my career, thought I'd end up over in brokerage. I have really enjoyed Zurich, and mostly being a global company, having a lot of opportunity to make changes throughout and experience new things in my own career. I started as an underwriter, went into leadership, moved in geographic territories, took a global role. So I had a lot of different parts of my career and opportunities to do different things. But I thought really what you do a lot internally on a company side is you're negotiating. You're trying to justify reasons to write a risk, reasons to expand a client, appreciate issues of coverage. So the skill set's quite transferable, right? You're just on, on the other side, you're negotiating with the carriers. So it's very, very similar. Part of it is, is are you client-centric, right? And so that was a lot of how I, I showed up. I was very very much engaged and, and interested in appreciating the clients. And so for me, it was an easy transition after I appreciated multiple products, right? The one issue of, of carrier side, you tend to be in a one product area yeah. and brokerage, you tend to be representing all products and then some, right? Understanding whether there's even insurable products that the insured might may or may not have access to. And since your time at Marsh, obviously you've promoted 
grow, you've taken on leadership positions and, and now you're managing director of that southeast region. If you give our listeners sort of a bit of an insight into what that covers geographically and sort of the size of the, the teams that you're looking after there. Sure. So the Southeast region in the United States, really, I'm based in Atlanta. So that's in Atlanta, Georgia, and it really runs from D.C. down to Florida. So picks up the Carolinas, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia and Florida. And so that for us is about 500 people in different disciplines. Some are in sales, some are in client service area. Um, that's primarily what I'm in charge of is the growth, the P&L in that area, um, how we're approaching clients, what products we're bringing. Then we have product specialists, which would be someone who specializes in property placement, right? Mm-hmm. Really handling the transaction or casualty or financial lines. And so that group is also sits within the region and, you know, we center around the client and then they matrix report into me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. I think it's always good for our listeners to be able to get a bit of an insight into your background ahead of the, yeah. the, the questions today. Julie, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, what is your go-to coffee of choice in the morning? Yeah, well, co- coffee's my lead drink. I would drink it all day if I, I wasn't affected by the caffeine. But I start out usually with a grande skim latte. Um, if I'm home, then I just drink straight coffee. But if I'm traveling, I will order something a little more fancy. But uh, I'm always going to have coffee and I plan my day to make sure I have it in the morning. Otherwise, um, I'm no good to anybody. Brilliant. Thank you, Julie. First question, how did you break into that first leadership position and how did you find that? transition from your previous role which might have been as an underwriter or more of a technical position yeah so you know as i think about that it for me there was definite shift in where i took a leadership role that had a lot more scale and responsibility so i had led teams but to really move into one where i had responsibility over pnl i had a responsibility for more than just one team it was multiple teams within it would be when I was with Zurich, I took a position to move into the South, which at the time I was in Chicago. So that was going to be challenging for a number of reasons, right? It was, um, the year was 2007. So I had been in my career about close to 10 years at that point. And I, it was going to be a position that had quite a bit of visibility to an executive team at Zurich. It was, you know, you're responsible for running the region, not only growing it, but growing it profitably, branding it, um, leading people, developing talent. So there was a large, you know, breadth of work and responsibility that had to be done. So at the time, those positions opened very rarely. And the position had opened in Atlanta. So this is going to require a move. And I really wanted the job. And so it was one that I felt I could do, but I knew I would be a little bit facing the fact that, you know, was I qualified? I didn't know the region, but I I really went after the job and kind of as a secondary issue, I was pregnant at the time and I was eight months pregnant. (laughs) So I was like really close to having a baby. And the person who was interviewing for was the CEO and I had to find him. I had to interview in person. It was, I felt was my only chance to get the job. And at one point, I just talked to his assistant and I said, where is he? I will meet him at an airport because I need to sit down. I knew I only had like two more weeks left to fly. And so I, I did. I went and found him and he didn't know I was pregnant at the time. So I took him a little off guard. But um, <laughs> I went in with that and kind of brought in my presentation and pitch and I got the position and then, and then moved shortly after my son was born. So that was a big jump in responsibility as both a uh, professional and as a, a parent. <laughs> so it was a lot. 
that Julie, that's that's fantastic. That's such an inspiring story. Really, sort of taking initiative there. Like you say, there's quite a lot of parts to that role where maybe the timing might not have been quite right, or you know, there's a big move moving across from Chicago down to Atlanta. But it sounds like you sort of really made it happen for yourself. Yeah, you know, I wasn't necessarily going to be the obvious choice, right? I mean, I think I was clearly a contender. That I was someone who was qualified, but I the, the time the CEO was new, so he didn't know me as well, like as if someone who was internally had been promoted, they might be knew who I was. So I was really combating a number of things, right? Trying to make sure I was known, trying to make sure at the time there were any other women in the position, trying to face the fact that, you know, I would be out probably on leave a couple months, new geography. So there was a lot in there. And, you know, to me, it was making a, a, you know, really making a case for myself. And I put it together and, you know, at the time it was a PowerPoint format to talk to him through why I thought I, you know, I was qualified to do it. So it took some research and some confidence and a little bit of persistence, frankly. It certainly did. It certainly did. It sounds like you've, you've not looked back ever since. Julie, what would you say? I mean, obviously, that was a, a big triumph land, landing that role. But what would you say has been your biggest achievement in your leadership career today? Yeah, you know, I there's different things we do, right? There's things I'm, I'm proud of in regards to how I've, I've handled things, whether it was growth oriented, whether it was branding, whether it was aspects around talent. And, you know, I think really if I why I got into the role was to feel like I was making a difference, right? Whether it was to the individuals in, in the company that they were feeling rewarded by the career. Because when I landed, I really thought in insurance, I'd be here for two years till I found something else, you know? So so here I am many years later. Um, you know, to me, it's like trying to make it a better than where you left it, right? And I see a lot of potential in the industry. So I'm probably most proud of really trying to affect change and trying to affect the individuals that, you know, are really our talent strategy is more inclusive, it's more diverse, we're attracting more people to the the industry. So personally, that's what I'm most proud of. But the reality is I didn't get that opportunity and probably until, frankly, this last job, where now I sit in the executive committee, I report into Martin South, who's the U.S. or North American CEO of Marsh. And in this role, I have a lot of ability to influence change, right? And I've taken different positions where you're carrying out a lot of other people's you know, vision and ideas. And now I'm, I'm sitting at the executive committee, influencing that change, making suggestions, sitting on, you know, as an executive sponsor on certain employee resource groups and, and really feel as if some of those, those changes are happening. And that didn't happen until more recently where I, I got that position. Great. And has there ever been a time in your career where perhaps you have been overlooked for an opportunity or, a role didn't quite go your way. And how did you go about dealing with that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Multiple times, right? So, you know, I, those are that, that those are the most learning parts in our careers, right? As you look yeah. back at them at the time, they're super uncomfortable. And at the time, you know, it, it's hard to necessarily separate yourself from the emotion. But, you know, mo- probably the most recently, I had a position in which the organization restructured. And I was at the time running a region. I was with Marshalls in the Southeast. And they, they decided to get, go away with what they called the time partnerships. Mm. So I was in a P&L type position, what I thought was on track to move 
up within the organization to take the role, frankly, that I have now. And they decided to get rid of that position. And I went back into, and to me, it was moving backwards into something I had already done, which was running large accounts for us, you know, within the region, which I loved, but I had done that. Right. And so there was a part of me that, you know, just needed to, to pause on the fact that, this was a reflection a bit of around where the organization was and their structuring. I was going backwards, it felt. I had, you know, really encountered some commentary around, wow, you know, you you weren't promoted, you're moving, you know, it sounds like you're being demoted, right? There's aspects around what was happening. And watching my peers, I had a fair amount of peers that left, right? They were frustrated. We, you know, there was a lot of change going on in the organization. The CEO was new. And I chose to sit still, right? I really looked at it and it was uncomfortable at times where people would ask, you know, questions about, well, you know, if you're not going up, you must be going, you know, down. It's like this aspect around whether you believe that or other people believe that, right? It still feels uncomfortable. And, you know, you just sit there and watch some of the chaos go around you. And when it settles, you know, you're... Some of it is just based on the fact that you handled it well, right? You didn't panic. You just continued to do your job. You do what you enjoy. You find, you know, the people that you've worked with that have always inspired you and and you sit still. I think a lot of people make a change when it's uncomfortable, right? Or it's there's ambiguity around the fact that they don't know where their personal career is going. And and the reality is I'm one person within an organization of, you know, and across the world, 90,000 people, right? There was organizational change. It was not personal, right? That I, you have to believe in yourself. And, you know, even when I didn't, I just sat still a bit. And then six months later, it changed. And then I was promoted a year and a half later. So I'm proud of the now reflective of how I handled it. At the time, I was highly uncomfortable. <laughs> so I would say like, there was plenty of commentary where it was easy to think like, oh, boy, I've worked all this time. And now I'm, I'm going backwards. You could have easily made a, a rash decision there because of that, oh, yeah. that feeling. But, but you remain calm. You did come across as you've got pretty calm personality. Julie, would that be fair? I, I feel like people who work for me might start laughing at that comment. I, you know, look, I'm um, probably described as a, as a bit intense. I'm competitive. I, you know, I was an athlete, you know, still consider myself an athlete. And, you know, so there's aspects around calm, right? That vary. It depends on the situation. There's yeah, you know, yeah. certain things I'm quite driven at. There's other things that I do make a concerted effort. And, and, you know, to solve problems without emotion. So, you know, a lot of issues around negotiation. And I think a true trait of leadership is always you have to be comfortable in conflict Mm. and you have to be able to approach conflict without emotion. And so, you know, for me, that's primarily math based, right? And in a lot of times when you're faced with the problem, start breaking it down mathematically if you can, right? What are the aspects? What's the cost benefit? What's the situation? And it strips that out. So those those situations, I'm calm at, but just it depends, though, Nick. I, I'd have to be honest. I, I hope that um, I've represented myself accurately, but <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you have. Moving to the present day, Julie, what are you using in terms of technology, or what is Marsh implementing at the moment in terms of digital change that's really going further and helping exceed customers' expectations? Yeah. So there's been such a hyper focus around how do we enable really colleagues and clients more and more with technology. So there's been a fair amount of activity really around predictive analytics, right? One way or another, if it's claims-based, there's a fair amount around understanding 
understanding volatility, right? That would be how you set your retentions, um, understanding the financial aspects of that to a client's balance sheet. Um, then the colleague piece, right? How do you interact and do more with technology that's web-enabled, not some analog-based type of system, right? And then even as simple as really using Zoom, right, on a day-to-day basis and how do we interact, how do we use Teams, how do we do all these things? So, you know, technology is everywhere, right, whether it's interacting with their clients, whether it's providing a solution to clients or interacting with one another. And we've made a lot of investments in that space, and I see it as a continuous, like, it's just a question of, are we doing enough, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do our clients see issues that they need to do and it needs to be technology enabled? I mean, the the reality is insurance is is quite far behind in this space. You know, I think we all see that in our personal banking. You bank, you do something in seconds and then you, you know, look for an insurance quote and someone tells you, if you're asking for it in less than 30 days, that that's like completely unreasonable. (laughs) So like, we're just really, I think, have a tremendous amount of opportunity in front of us to really enable clients. And um, we're working on that in, in a couple different platforms that we're releasing to clients and colleagues. Great. And what would you say looking forward is the biggest challenge facing insurance executives? Yeah, I think there are probably two. One is really the issue of our overall brand, right? Which is a little bit in that technology conversation. Mm -hmm. If you talk to probably most of us, they've ended up here maybe because they knew somebody in it or they just happened to land in it, right? It wasn't as purposeful Mm -hmm. of a choice. You know, even more so if you really look at a much more, you know, diverse group of individuals across the country, you're not attracting a ton of different you know, majors, different ethnicities, different really socioeconomic areas. They're not seeking insurance. They're seeking, you know, technology or healthcare or different areas. So I think as generally our responsibility is trying to brand that better. You know, I'm very interested in, you know, kind of an economics background. Sociology was my major with economics. And Insurance is fantastic for that. Like it is a study of economics. It's global economics. It's tons of different businesses. It's appreciating, you know, you learn constantly. So for the intellectually curious person, it's just fantastic. So I think we need to, as an overall leadership and industry, brand ourselves better, attract people into it. And some of that gets into claims, right? You talk to somebody and their view is, you know, claims don't get paid or there's situations around that it's difficult process to get paid and it's super antiquated and that's the technology enablement, right? So hopefully we're looking at those two areas of of talent and technology and how it enables the branding better, that it's really a more positive type of of product and industry out in the community. Yeah, fantastic, Julia. 100% agree with you on both of those points. I think um, it's an interesting issue you raise about um, claims and policies actually being paid and just how that reflects on the industry as a whole and the, the branding of the industry. So I think that's a great point. If someone's had a good interaction with insurance early on in their life or in their career, then um, it's, it's going to be seen as more of an appealing market. I think the challenge around diversity and inclusion is definitely a real challenge. Like you said, a lot of people fall into the industry. A lot of people arrive there through relationships, friends, family. And so really just appealing to the same pool of people each time. So that that is clearly a, a challenge. But I think there's a lot of great initiatives out there. I know Marshall obviously involved in a huge number of initiatives to, to try and bridge that gap and to attract people from a more diverse background. I think that's only going to help the industry as a whole in, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's 
you know, we talk about it, but it's, it's work, right? I mean, really rebranding yourself and having these conversations, it, it would tell you, I've always thought that this, that we have to attract people in a different way. Um, and partially because I have found the career and industry very rewarding. And I've, I've really met some tremendous people and seen some great things around businesses and learned a lot. But, you know, you, you do this work. I was on a, a panel this week around equity and inclusion, and it really was focused at really the, the you know, black business owner, entrepreneur, and people trying to get, lead into the C-suite. And, you know, pulling an event off, having these conversations, deciding to, you know, sit there alongside one another at times are, you know, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to ask questions. You have to realize you might make some mistakes and it, it's time, right? It, so, you know, you're looking to make sure that you do these things and it's going into different universities that I've never gone into. It's having different conversations. It's reaching out to people that I don't know. Um, and I think that's, that's important, right? As we're in, you know, whatever it is that you sponsor, it's important to sponsor something that you don't necessarily align with. Right. So, you know, it's great if I'm an advocate for women, but, but I am a woman. So, you know, it's great if I can also advocate for people that I'm not necessarily directly, you know, obviously aligned with. And and so I I encourage that, but it is, you know, take some, it takes some grit. It certainly does. It certainly does. Thanks, Julie. I can see the, uh, the passion that you talk with them. That's fantastic. We now turn to the espresso round as the questions are short, sharp and straight to the point. So can I ask you, Julie, I know you, your coffee keeps going throughout the day. Are you ready for an espresso? Yeah, yeah. I still have a little bit left. <laughs> Great stuff. The espresso round. Julie, what are the characteristics about Marsh which make it such a great place to work at? Collaborative. I'd say it's probably the, the number one thing. It's a group of people that are highly intelligent and look to really align around client solutions and, and show up with their best, um, kind of their best creative and thought-provoking remarks. Fantastic. And what opportunities do you provide there to high-performing talent? Obviously, one of the leading uh, global brokers, advisory businesses in the, in, in the world. What would you say is the, the the sort of the key opportunity that you provide to high performing insurance professionals? For us, we really allow you to develop in multiple tracks, and so the good thing about that is you don't have to lead people to necessarily advance your career. And I, I think that at times, and and I think reflective of a lot of organizations is very important in order to demonstrate that you're moving up or that you're becoming, you know, a senior leader at the firm. We have plenty of people that are highly respected for their technical ability and are not in leadership roles for the production teams that really manage their own books of business and their client base, and they've been highly successful. So you can take different tracks. You can develop in a very client-centric role, which is all about, you know, solving client risk issues and expanding them. Or you can look at a very technical role sitting in a discipline like in aviation or claims or property. Or you can be someone, you know, in my role, which is leading really across people and looking at, you know, growing the business and branding it differently. So it offers different avenues for advancement, which is it's very appealing for, for most, most colleagues. That all links very well with your diversity and inclusion point of view. That, that you know, There's some people out there who feel like they don't want to take that next step because they feel that success is only through leadership and management, which is maybe not an area that they're comfortable with or that they're interested in, but they just want to be a great technician or they want to be 
great with clients and build build themselves a book of business and they're not interested in that leadership. I think that's I think that's important and I think that can also help attract more diverse talent to the mix. Yeah, and a lot of people aren't good at it, right? I yeah, mean, you don't need sure. to be a leader of people. I mean, that takes a certain almost a yeah. psychology degree, right? Yeah. So not everyone has the patience for that and nor, yeah. nor should they. So yeah. and an organization like Marsh, which is serving clients, there are plenty of room for people who just want to serve clients really well and be strategic. And, um, you know, there's a lot of room for their voice within the organization to to influence colleagues. Yeah, I always think, particularly on the carrier side of things, you know, you might be a great underwriter, you want to be a great underwriter, you don't necessarily want to lead a team of 50 or 100 people, you know, completely different skill sets. What would you say are the sort of the top three skills or characteristics that you demand in executives when bringing them into the business? Yeah, so one, I think you have to be highly capable and confident at whatever it is that is your trade, so to speak, right? And that maybe seems obvious. You have to be good at whatever it is you do. But I I think that that is important, right? So People are highly respected for one area of what they do. And sometimes they don't know what that is, but it is important to be, you know, super competent, whether that looks like shows up as intelligence. Um, sometimes it shows up, you know, people would assume it shows up as being kind of sales oriented. And, and you know, we're brokerage, so we are sales oriented, but not everyone is going to look like that extroverted traditional salesperson. So to me, it's just being technical and strong at whatever it is that you do and, you know, what we call is kind of the best in the business. You know, I think that there's also a real emphasis and a little bit of this is more recent, right? But you have to be willing to kind of seek input and take collaborative, you know, feedback. So, you know, for me, I don't solve a problem that is put in front of me by myself ever, right? So there's, you know, while I maybe have some ideas and some thought thoughts around how to approach it, there are, I respect the fact that I sit on an executive committee of people who represent different zones, they represent different disciplines, sales, and their input is highly valuable to me. So, you know, whether or not we end up, you know, on kind of the track that maybe I initially thought there's their input was probably influence the outcome. And so that's expected that, you know, you sit amongst a bunch of people that are highly competent in their roles, seek their input. And so, you know, and I think that's true all along the way. And, you know, hopefully that's not only a marsh trait, but that's within many organizations. But that's important. And that's an important discipline to deploy. It will slow you down at times, right? You know, you have to decide to talk to somebody and spend time. But it's super important because that's how you get it right. So I do think that aspect of collaboration and seeking input is is absolutely expected at an organization like Marsh. And when you get there with the answer, it's probably the one thing that's asked again and again is how, how did you come about this? Whose input was put in? Um, why is this the right decision? And, and if you can cover it off around where, you know, that you sought advice from different people, um, you're, you know, you're going to be supported. Great. What would you say is the largest challenge you face when attracting new talent and what can be the biggest frustrations with the recruitment process? Yeah, part of it is just the idea that we talked about around branding. I think that the issue is, you know, there's two aspects to that. One is the brand itself doesn't necessarily attract anyone who's, you know, for instance, an economics major or finance major or an English major, right? You know, there's just not, it's not a natural industry to go. So 
you work hard to attract people sometimes. Um, I recently hired a leader that came outside of the industry. He had been a consultant, he's in sales, and I asked him to come lead our DC team. And so the first question he asked me was like, so I'm going to lead insurance? Like you could tell it was like this vision he had. I was thinking that scene in Groundhog Day with the man chasing him down, trying to sell life insurance, like carrying a briefcase, right? And a long raincoat. And it's like, yeah, but no, well, you're going to really advise clients on risk. And so I did this discussion yeah. around how we're so critical and look at the world we live in and there's risk and we're consultants. And so I felt like I, I tap danced a little, right? You know, and so like mm-hmm. part of insurance is just this constant, we're not going to be evaluated on a transaction. We're going to be evaluated on consulting clients on one of the biggest mm-hmm. issues that we're all faced and particularly in this world right now where now we're sitting in a place that, you know, everyone wanted to be on the boardroom agenda and everything that we're doing is on the boardroom agenda, right? The cyber environment, the pandemic itself, business resiliency through these issues, talent, right? All of these are insurance products. So um, how do we continue to brand ourselves that people want to really be part of the industry, right? So that to me is part of it. And then, you know, the other part is when you're really recruiting people that, once they're in the industry, you know, we assess risk for a living. So they're like ability to decide to come over and make a change and take some risk is super low. Yeah. I feel like they underwrite the decision to death. I'm always like, okay, like you're going to have to make a decision. You're never going to, it's never going to be a guarantee that you're going to be happy here. You're going to like working for me, that you're going to like Marsh, right? So you've got to at some point make the decision. So People are a little bit risk adverse in our industry, yeah. and um, that can be a recruiting challenge at times. It can be. You can also see the people from outside the industry, if they start underwriting and weighing up the risk elements, then you know that they're going to be a, a good fit for the industry. <laughs> That's true. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, very much so. Yeah. Julie, if there are any insurance executives out there now considering their next opportunity, what would your advice be to them? You know, I think that you have to develop yourself some way, shape, or form every year. Right? So, you know, people look at, they point to something they did and it's four years ago, right? So I think in insurance, you have to constantly look at ways to challenge yourself, whether that's taking a new role, whether it's putting yourself out there. You know, I you know, think about things at the beginning of my career. When I started out, you know, this is really at the very beginning of leading people. I was not super comfortable speaking in front of people, right? So mm-hmm. I took really took initiative to start talking in front of students, right? So to me, I grew up, I was a child of people who were teachers and like teachers are great presenters, right? They speak in front of kids who are ruthless at times in what they want to say and evaluate you on. So I started teaching, like just speaking at various classes and I was super nervous. And then they'd give you feedback that was brutally honest about like, oh, you're this or you're too monotone or that was boring, right? I got more and more comfortable with, you know, just having more experience in speaking. So I think, you know, out there, you have to look for the ways in which to develop your, whether it's your weakness or things that you just aren't, aren't comfortable in, right? So I, you know, becoming part of a, a, like a, executive sponsor of a colleague resource group that you don't know anything about, Mm. Um, taking a class, doing different things. Like you just have to some way, shape or form challenge yourself a bit each year. 
And, you know, with all the technology coming in, it's, it's, that's kind of the obvious. You feel challenged all the time. But I do think you have to seek those yeah. and look at ways in which you can get outside kind of development opportunities. Some of it's education-based. Some of it's, you know, more softer skills-based. But we'll continue to look for those each year. And continuous self-development. Yeah, mm-hmm. really like that, Julie. That's, that's great. We've almost reached the end of our time together today. Before we go, there, I'd just like to ask you for your one piece of closing advice for our listeners and how would they go about reaching out to you after the show? Sure. Reach out to me through, you can email me, julie.wood at marsh.com. We reference this discussion. So I know, you know, at times you can link into me. My, my problem with LinkedIn is that if I don't know where it's coming from, sometimes I, I get a little more apprehensive. So email is probably best. So, you know, I, I my closing advice would really be around appreciating and working for somebody that inspires you and you like, right? I, you know, I've, mm. at times you're going to work for leaders that you don't necessarily are, are people that you would socialize with, but mm. they should challenge you. You know, I think early in your career, it's super important to work for somebody who you appreciate and you respect and you can learn from. Yeah. That is, it, it honestly is what makes you successful is looking at really respecting somebody and learning from them. I've worked for leaders that I liked better than others, of course, but almost every single one of them I've respected tremendously and they've Mm -hmm. taught me a ton. And, you know, when you don't have that type of relationship for, with a leader that you work with, it's super draining. It's hard to get out of bed every day. It's hard to be inspired. It's hard to do what you're doing when you really respect somebody for whatever it is they do it doesn't mean it could be they are the hardest working person and you want to keep pace it could be they're very good at their skill um i worked for a man that you know really wasn't that that client facing he put people around him he's incredibly skilled and smart at what he did and i you know kind of taught me and gave me a lot of opportunity so i would say work for people you like as much as possible and when you don't you know try to look for the aspects of which you're learning from them and if that runs its course and you're not you, you need to look to, to make a change because that's going to be what really makes you successful in your career in the long run yeah thank you julia that's that's fantastic advice it's so important to work for leaders that inspire you and challenge you you know you talked earlier about self self-development and continuous development i think that's very valid but if you don't have a a leader who who changes you as well then um, you're not going to be progressing as quickly as you should be so fantastic advice thank you so much for joining us in the insurance coffee house usa today really appreciate having you on the show and um, i think you've given our listeners some some great learnings and some great insights there Yes, Nick, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Um, at some point, maybe we'd have coffee in person, but for now, appreciate just having the opportunity of the conversation. It was great. That's right. That's right. Once we're able to fly again internationally, I'm sure we'll be able to do that. Yeah. So that'd be great. Look forward to that, Julie. Thank Good. you so much for your time today. Really, really do appreciate it. To all the insurance business leaders out there, whether you are based in the United States or internationally, we thank you for listening to the show and we're sure you would have gained some great learnings and some great insights from julie today if you do enjoy the show please leave us a review on itunes and as i say every week please remember to download and subscribe to the shows so that you receive each one of our episodes into your podcast app each week 
Till next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House USA. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.